Welcome to Policy Pod, P-O-R-F podcast. The Ideas Factory is an exclusive series by ORF that delves into the big geopolitical events that affect India and the world. Hello and welcome to the Ideas Factory. I'm Nagma. We are bringing you this episode at a time when there is trouble in India's neighborhood. If we look at Sri Lanka, if we look at Pakistan, even Nepal to some extent, there is political and economic uh, actually there is an economic crisis there which has led to a political turmoil if we look at sri lanka and if we look at pakistan uh, we will also look at biden's asia visit in this episode of the ideas factory joining me is professor harsh pant harsh uh, you know uh, we would uh, india is really looking with concern what's happening in sri lanka india uh, is trying to do its uh, best uh, in whichever way to help sri lanka uh, but uh, the crisis in sri lanka is still at its peak we've seen that there is a lot of economic distress sri lanka has defaulted on debt there is acute food shortage it has in fact defaulted on 105 million dollar of the chinese payment so you know there is a big big crisis there and it has led to a big political turmoil of course there has been a change in leadership but of course it is not a very good thing what's happening in india's neighborhood and india is uh, the last thing india would want is to see a friendly neighbor destabilize there are security concerns as well so uh, do you think the situation in sri lanka will stabilize sometime soon and how do we what what role can india play there india has been trying to do its best uh, what else can we expect uh, unprecedented times i think kanagma in especially in sri lanka the, the kind of uh, economic crisis we have seen the kind of uh, political turmoil that we have seen in a matter of days we have seen an entire regime disappear in fact an entire dynasty apart from now the uh, the remaining president uh, you know just uh, facing oblivion almost so there is a you know i think there is a real um, uh, challenge uh, for sri lankans and for sri lanka's neighbors in particular for india i think there is a larger issue here when when you when we when we talk of our own economies uh, it is important to recognize it you know the global economy itself is undergoing is undergoing tremendous pressure and so uh, you know smaller economies that have already had fundamental vulnerabilities are getting exposed and sri lanka an economy that that was relying so much on tourism uh, facing unprecedented uh, problems uh, after the covid crisis uh, find themselves uh, you know in in a situation where they are unable to service their debts where they are unable to meet the basic obligations as a, as a state Uh, and the result is uh, that uh, that you have a bigger crisis but it it must also be pointed out that uh, you know the management of the sri lankan economy has also been a problem the way you know uh, certain tax uh, tax concessions were announced uh, by uh, uh, you know by the president when he was running from off, uh, for office and then they were the way they were implemented the way decisions on organic farming were implemented leading to a fertilizer crisis i think there has been so much uh, back and forth in terms of decision making that at times you almost felt there was a leadership void in the country and uh, you know the, when the when people came out on the streets when people start demonstrating their resentment very very vocally with the existing regime it was then that the president realized the enormity of the challenge and i think it it was very late till, uh, by then so naturally you have a situation where his own brother had to go as a prime minister uh, all the all the dynasties have to, had to go the government initially had to be uh, conceived and you i think the appointment of uh, mr vikramasinghe uh, as the prime minister uh, assured has assured in 
some level of, of stability, at least for the time being, that uh, you know that uh, he will be able to manage uh, because of his uh, global uh, personality, because of his engagement with global stakeholders, he'll be able to give some sense of stability to Sri Lanka. But it is a long road ahead. And I think countries like India will have to keep a close eye and help as much as possible. For India, it's not an option. It's an imperative uh, that India has to step up to the plate as a, as a, as a bigger economy in the region. And, uh, and, and I think it has uh, so far it has done its bit. Uh, but ultimately, it is for the Sri Lankan leadership to demonstrate its commitment to effective economic decision making and to implement certain policy choices on the ground that will ensure that there is long term sustainability to the economic management program. Otherwise, we'll keep on seeing this back and forth. And, and even at the moment, there is a lot of anger amongst the uh, amongst the people. And I think somehow you have to assuage the concerns uh, that one particular dynasty, one particular regime had benefited at the expense of all uh, of ordinary Sri Lankans. And that perception needs to be changed. And I think uh, Mr. Vikramasinghe has a very difficult task ahead. And India certainly uh, should be lending him all the help that is possible. Could that also be a focus in the upcoming board meet? Uh, like you said, India, it's imperative for India uh, to kind of bail out Sri Lanka from this kind of a situation also because this is a classic example of what's happening in Sri Lanka of China's debt trap economy. Now, uh, that's not really good news uh, for uh, Sri Lanka, uh, neither for its neighbors. So do you think that could be a focus? Uh, I mean, China is just the third biggest lender to Sri Lanka after Japan and, and ADB. So what's happening there is also a lesson probably for the others around the world, countries in Asia, some islands, also countries in Africa, of uh, how this has led to a trap, the Chinese loans. Uh, absolutely. And I think China is a very big part of the story. The kind of uh, you know uh, engagement that China has had with Sri Lanka over the last few years, how it has fueled this crisis to a point where it has become unsustainable. And the kind of debt that that uh, that uh, Sri Lanka had been, uh, you know, uh, kept on, uh, uh, you know, uh, laboring on itself is, is I think, a, an important reminder to a number of smaller economies around the world uh, that have, in the last decade or so, relied so much on Chinese largesse that uh, you know you have to be very careful when you are undertaking certain projects, when you are undertaking certain kinds of engagements, and in particular with China, it is it is never really clear. Uh, what is in the contract and how that uh, those contracts will be implemented. You would recall that uh, that even when the Sirisena government wanted to get rid of China from the Humban Tota port, the contract was such that they had to eventually lease out Humban Tota for nine on a ninety nine year old uh, ninety nine year lease to 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 China. So I think the challenge is enormous, uh, and uh, and there is no uh, and I think uh, the unfortunate part was for a number of these economies uh, there was no real alternative. If you have an alternative you could actually manage China and you could manage China's demands. But because there was no alternative, I think a number of these countries continue to look at, have continued to look at China as the ultimate, uh, you know, uh, uh, aid giver. But now I think that other, uh, that this has been uh, a lesson. And also the fact that countries like India, like uh, other Quad members, or even European Union is getting into the act of providing uh, proper lending, which is transparent, uh, which is about capacity building, which is about ensuring that lending is related to the economic requirements of a particular country and not uh, uh, according to the uh, you know, uh, aims and ambitions of 
the the country of the source. I think there is going to be uh, some change, uh, but it, it's again for Sri Lanka, it's going to be a long haul. And in this particular case, I think what what has also been a bit interesting is that China has been reluctant to help uh, Sri Lanka in restructuring the debt. And I think that has also lead, uh, that that also led to a number of problems. Had the initial conversation with China resulted in some concrete deliverables, perhaps the situation would not have come to such a pass. But because China was reluctant uh, initially, uh, and then Sri Lanka had to go to other actors, including the IMF, and China did not like initially uh, that Sri Lanka was going to IMF. I think it created a, a lot of uh, 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 the imbalance in the way uh, Sri Lankan economy uh, was unable to adjust. Uh, to uh, to the crisis that was uh, you know that was brewing underneath and then suddenly it came out uh, and and uh, the, the you know the government had to do what it had to do and i think therefore uh, for india for other like minded countries in the region this is an important opportunity to create an alternative to res- to to provide an alternative to some of the smaller nations in the region uh, and to ensure that the chinese uh, are not the only game in town sure china is also a big part of the story what's happening in pakistan uh, there was of course economic crisis there has been leadership change with this political turmoil the new leadership has a very very tough challenge ahead shahbaz sharif has to bail out the country from the economic crisis which is not easy also because what happened during imran khan's tenure they're not in very good relations with the united states there harsh now uh, we see a rising anti china sentiment in balochistan balochistan has been the center the heart of china's cpec the china pakistan economic corridor but the killings of or the attacks on the chinese nationals and the chinese leaving pakistan that has what does it say i mean there is a rising anti china sentiment or is also islamabad's failure to quell that or there's also an increasing pressure in pakistan to strike on the bla camps so here also china is a very important part of the crisis that is there and will china now help pakistan does pakistan have a choice of not really going by what china says well i don't think pakistan really has a choice given how far they are in their relationship with china but i think certainly some of the statements that have come out that that suggest uh, that at least rhetorically they are saying that they want to balance relationship with global powers uh, whether it is china or or, or us or europe i think that certainly that sentiment now is being is being expressed and uh, uh, bhutto's visit to 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 us is an important mm-hmm. indicator and that i think they are recalibrating in some ways and trying to get into the into the american fold once again not making uh, america uh, you know uh, completely irrelevant to pakistan's scheme of things that seems to have have happened in the last few years but i think the challenge there in uh, you know uh, it remains that pakistani leadership will not be able to give up on on cpec and therefore they uh, have not done a good job of convincing the local people uh in baluchistan in particular that this is the the the, the 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 corridor or the projects associated with the corridor are for their benefit and clearly the local population does not re- recognize the benefits so i think that that communication gap that and also the fact that they have been pushed by china to undertake certain projects which perhaps uh, a more sensitive government in pakistan would not have undertaken so i think there are a host host of challenges with cpec in, in china on the one hand and the political challenge that pakistan is facing where they are negotiating uh, even as we speak in qatar uh, with imf uh, for the for the bailout package uh, which which uh, imran khan had signed 6 billion dollars of which only 3 billion had been dispensed to pakistan uh, but uh, uh, 
Pakistan has not been able to take necessary steps like cutting of subsidies or uh, improving tax collection, etc., which were mandated by that uh, by that agreement. Now you have a change of government, and uh, but that government is also reluctant to undertake reforms because Imran Khan is uh, on its you know on the heels of this government, berating uh, mm-hmm. this government as as one that is operating under outside influence. So I think this this the in, the political economy of reforms in Pakistan is so complicated at the moment that it doesn't seem that they they will be able to uh, manage the long term sustainable. Uh, you know, enforcement of some of the uh, remedy, of, of some of the remedies that are needed to to bring the economy back on track, and therefore, I think the fundamentals will remain very, very vulnerable of the economy. Even as the politic politics is, is heating up in Pakistan, has become very polarized, and Imran Khan is leaving no stone unturned in making yes. a, a comeback. So, I think it's it's a very strange concoction which can which is almost a tinderbox and can explode any time. Yeah, the domestic politics does not allow Shahbaz Sharif probably to take those hard decisions and those reforms that are needed. And like you said, Imran Khan is out there trying to pull down this government. What's happening in uh, one of our, I mean, another neighbor, Nepal? Do you see something similar to Sri Lanka brewing there? Maybe not that dire situation, but there has been a kind of economic crisis, and there have been questions that is Nepal going to go the Sri Lanka way? Uh, it can. It is also brewing a kind of a political turmoil, especially against the finance minister who is trying to shift the blame, of course. But uh, we've also had Prime Minister Modi's visit to Lumbini on the occasion of Buddha Purnima, and it was actually it, it appeared as a successful deployment of India's soft part. You know, Buddha Purnima, the cultural ties that he talked about visiting Lumbini, is that also an attempt? And was it successful in repairing the the SAR? relationship between India and Nepal? I think to a certain extent, what we have seen uh, under um, uh, uh, Nepalese Prime Minister Deva and, 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 and Modi, that there has been some resetting of the relationship. Uh, you know, the, the relationship had been uh, seeing its ups and downs in the past. Uh, but with Mr. Deva in office, there has been some semblance of stability. Uh, unfortunately, as you were pointing out, the economic dynamic is going in a different direction and there are economic challenges that, that Nepal is also facing. Uh, again, uh, it, you know, it, it's not entirely evident that this is uh, the same scale as perhaps Sri Lanka or even Pakistan are facing. But certainly for a country like Nepal, uh, the, the challenges are becoming very difficult to mount. I think the Nepalese government is even requesting the, the expats to help. Uh, in, in this crisis, uh, by bringing in forex, etc. So I think there is a there is a sense that uh, there is a simmering problem underneath, and that needs to be tackled with some hard decisions. Mm-hmm. Whether the government has the ability to take those hard decisions, we will see over the over the next few, uh, I think, days and, and weeks. But I think Prime Minister's visit, uh, Indian Prime Minister's visit to Lumbini, was certainly an attempt uh, to reclaim that space, uh, which which I think India has always had. But it, it was seemingly losing to China, uh, and it, you know we, we had seen how China had been very, very uh, vocal, even uh, in, in the Buddhist, uh, you know, dynamic of this engagement with Nepal uh, for a country that that is uh, that calls itself a communist country like China uh, to take such an such an interest uh, in in Buddhism is quite extraordinary, and the way they have projected their power uh, in and around Lumbini is also, uh, I think, very significant. So the, for the Prime Minister. To go to Lumbini to make a statement uh, that look, uh, you know, the, the way India and uh, uh, Nepal are connected culturally, perhaps no other country can take that place, and also link it up with our cultural, you know, uh, 
historical civilizational ties, whether it is the, the, you know, the, the Ramayana circuit or the Buddhist circuit, is going to be a very important part of our outreach. Because I think ultimately, uh, as we have been discussing, China has uh, many more levers. But India is specifically, when you, when you talk of Nepal, India has that important lever of people-to-people -people connectivity that I think allows us uh, a certain amount of receptivity in Nepal. Though certainly uh, the, the, the concerns of the 21st century should be embedded uh, in our relationship and we should be looking at the relationship much more uh, through contemporary prism. But the soft power that both countries share and both countries can uh, enrich each other uh, should not be underestimated. And I think that was the message of the Prime Minister's visit. Sure, and rather interesting offer, Harsh, has come from Bangladesh. Uh, Sheikh Hasina has offered the Chittagong port uh, for its services. What does uh, Sheikh Hasina's offer really mean, considering Chittagong is really important strategically for India's northeast, for China as well, because it's like uh, China's foothold in the Indian Ocean. So, uh, I mean, there, a good situation definitely for India. What would it really mean? And uh, does that upset China? I think to a certain extent uh, that would, uh, you know, um, that that statement or that offer would have taken China by surprise. Uh, and, and I think what uh, what Sheikh Hasina is, is, is now looking at is the potential of using this port uh, for connecting Bangladesh to India's northeast, which is, I think, a very, very sensible priority, both for India and for Sri Lanka. And for a long time had been at the heart of, of India's engagement with Bangladesh, that as we look towards our east, our northeast has to be the bridge that connects India to its sure. eastern partners mm -hmm. and all the way to Southeast Asia and East Asia. And I think if, if that happens, uh, then it's it's going to be a win-win for both. And I think uh, Sheikh Hasina's offer is in line with that sentiment. And a very important message has gone out that she uh, or Bangladesh remains uh, very much in favor of undertaking uh, that project. And I think uh, India will be taking that up and India should be taking that up with, with utmost uh, you know, uh, persistence uh, and urgency because that's a very critical element of India's uh, yeah. Eastern strategy, look yeah. East, act East strategy. Uh, yes. But I think I would just like to broadly point out that if you look at the events in the last few weeks and months in terms of South Asia, you know, uh, there has often been this lament that, look, India is losing in South Asia, that China is... Uh, so so much powerful. I think what we see is a much more fluid situation. What we see is at the moment, especially if you look at what is happening in the in the neighborhood and how India is positioned. Actually, you have good stories to tell about India. India and Sri Lanka, uh, one of emerging as a most important responder in, in a time of crisis. India and Nepal strengthening their relationship. India and Bangladesh, of course, going from strength to strength. So I think by and large, uh, India is well positioned to uh, to look at the neighborhood and be relatively satisfied with, the, with as the way things are going. But the larger point here is that this contestation between India and China and the ability of smaller neighbors of, of, of India to, to use this as a balancing device is going to continue. Sometimes mm -hmm. India will be uh, you know, in, in, a, in a privileged position, sometimes China. But ultimately, the agency lies with the smaller states and how they perceive India and China's role. So the so the the more they perceive India as a reliable country, as a reliable neighbor, I think the better it is for India, and the, and the more uh, the better alternatives India can offer, uh, more credible alternatives India can offer to its neighbors that will enhance India's uh, engagement with its with its neighbors as we have seen over the last few months. And India has probably lived up to its uh, to its neighbors' expectations so far. 
or whatever is happening around in the area. A quick comment, uh, Harsh, I would like to add to this question. Uh, uh, why this offer from Rang Bangladesh now? I mean, is this also, you see this as, this as a diplomacy of balance by Sheikh Hasina, this offer of uh, Jitagong Port? Why indeed, now? indeed, indeed. I think, uh, you know, this, this has been, if you will recall, uh, uh, you know, Chittagong was, was seen as part of uh, wider Chinese encirclement of India and that if Chinese entered there, uh, they, would, uh, they would be very well positioned in the Bay of Bengal and those sorts of questions were being raised. But And I think with this decision, Sheikh Hasina has marginalized that argument and made it very clear that she has no intention uh, of going all the way in one particular direction. And I think while China continues to remain a very important partner for Bangladesh, she clearly recognizes that the long-term future for Bangladesh's economy, which, by the way, is doing ex exceptionally well at the moment, is linked with India's and India's Northeast. So I think she has made it very clear that she believes in, in creating this balance intact. Yes, yes. And uh, uh, I mean, I know there, there is very little time left now in this episode, but a very important, uh, you know, uh, trip by President Biden to Asia. He's, he's uh, uh, he, you know, he's already arrived in South Korea, and there is, of course, the quad will take place. Uh, there is also talk of an Indo-Pacific Economic Forum there. This is his first trip to Asia after his presidency, and this is happening uh, at a time when, of course, there is the rise of China and all that. But then is there is also. That Ukraine-Russia crisis, which is looming large, but the focus seems to be on uh, boosting the Indo-Pacific, uh, you know, the relations in in this area. Yes, I think an important message, perhaps, by Washington that uh, that uh, uh, even as you know the focus has been entirely on Ukraine and on Europe uh, for the last few months, uh, Washington does not intend to leave Indo-Pacific alone. Washington is invested in the Indo-Pacific. Biden administration is in, is invested in the Indo-Pacific. And I think gradually they have stepped up their engagement. Uh, Secretary, uh, Blin, uh, Secretary of State Blinken was in Southeast Asia a few weeks back. And now Mr. Biden's trip to two of the closest partners that America has in the region, South Korea and Japan. And of course, uh, participating in the Quad, which has emerged uh, as the central focal uh, platform in the region. So clearly, I think a message to China, to to its uh, to, to American allies in the region, to American partners in the region, that Indo-Pacific remains at the heart of American strategy, and uh, and uh, it, uh, there is an attempt to shore up uh, the, the the partners and allies in the region. So I think that there, there's going to we are going to see some interesting conversations, and of course uh, the the meeting of the Quad uh, next next week. Yeah, trade ties and Indo-Pacific economic forum and supply chains, uh, reliability of the supply chains, all that is probably on the agenda. So thank you so much, Harsh, for uh, this analysis. And that's all from us on this episode of the Ideas Factory. See you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Policy Pod, the ORF podcast. Please subscribe to our channel for updates on upcoming episodes.